Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulb, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to the show as we look back on what was a very interesting Grand Prix weekend. There's plenty to talk about, not only in the V8 Supercars, but in what's coming up at Easter and what we saw in the Grand Prix weekend as well. Joining me to discuss this and more on Inside Supercars from Auto Action, Lewis Isaacs. Lewis, good evening. Evening, Craig. And from Speed Week and, uh, of course, Channel 10 last weekend, fantastic job, Richard Crail. Thanks, Craig. Very much enjoyable weekend. Uh, I got to hang out with my mate, Adam Gilchrist, and uh, that, that's pretty cool. And there was some car racing, which is good. You watched a fair bit of car racing, some of it V8 supercars, and let's start with that because, uh, you know, no matter how many times the drivers say, yep, as soon as we put the helmet on, we're racing hard, you do know that there are testing programs going on. You do know there's, you know, a, a definite decision made that if you haven't qualified in the top three rows, then you are testing for the weekend and... You can say whatever you like. But we did see on the soft tyre some very interesting races. And with the rolling start, Richard, you had the perfect seat for the rolling start. It really made for some interesting laps, and particularly in those early stages. Well, the, the soft tyre was key, wasn't it? And, and now after last year's parades, and that's what they were, they had to make a change to that format if, if they wanted people to take it semi-seriously. Uh, and... The soft tyre paid dividends and, and they had grip and therefore they were they were racy at the front of the field and we had some very, very good motor racing uh, at the pointy end. I suspect when guys either dropped to the back of the field or were already at the back of the field, um, they might have switched their focus and, and by that I'm talking a little bit about Mark Winterbottom who was at the pointy end through practice and qualifying, got turned around by Fabian Coulthard in race one and ended up buried down the field and stayed there for the rest of the weekend. He worked his way up to 11th place by that final race. I suspect they probably changed their approach, but um, the have at it boys approach from uh, the Triple Eight folk and Fabian Coulthard and a little bit of Holden Racing Team and Chas Mostert uh, at the front of the field was great. And I thought they were four of the better V8 supercar races I've seen at the GP. So really positive stuff. And um, it just helps muddy the form guide, if anything, for the remainder of the season, aside from the fact that we know that Triple um, Eight are very, very quick, but otherwise it's uh, it's pretty open. Lewis, are you happy with that summation of the races? Yeah, I think one of the um, the more interesting parts of the weekend was the, the double file restart and the amendment they made to that this year. Clearly having um, everyone go at the same time worked because you didn't have the guys down the back end, as, as Frosty said in the press conference, taking the piss, and they were the ones that were getting caught up, so... Supercar support races were one of the few that actually weren't interrupted by safety cars, and that probably had a lot to deal with it. It was also um, noteworthy that both HRT drivers jumped on social media throughout the weekend mentioning that they were testing, and, yeah. and both cars were quick at points, and yeah. it's hard to tell if that's a bit of gamesmanship, because um, if they're still learning and they're that quick and they were quick at Adelaide, that's a very positive side for them, sign for them, but um, Crowley's completely like 
on point about Triple Eight and and their domination. It was um you know Shane's performance was good. Jamie was probably the quickest of all three. I think he uh, was just a bit unlucky in the final, but Craig in particular, he's still developing that car and working with Ludo and. And all three, I think, are only going to improve as the year goes on. Mm. And critically, Craig drove through the field. His qualifying is going to have to improve if he wants to be a serious challenger. But he he did drive up through the field. He he put a lot of pressure on Jamie Wincup, which eventually led to the pass he was able to make in, I think it was race three. And then we saw in race one uh, the pressure being put on to... Uh, J-Dub again by Shane Van Gisberg and a slight break lock up and, and Shane was around. It was uh, certainly very interesting to see what mind games might be going on in the Triple Eight sheds there, Richard. It's certainly one of the stories of the season that will that will follow throughout the year, but already it's, it's been a great talking point and um, you know, Clipsal was probably not a fair indication of where those three as a trio are at. And I think the Grand Prix is probably a bit more realistic about how evenly matched those three are, and there was nothing in it. And, and a highlight for me was that race three scrap you mentioned with with Craig and Jamie battling away. And um, it's the kind of race that Wing Cup loves. It was the same at Clipsal when he was fighting with Courtney, even though that was for a win and for points. Um, they were scrapping away, and um, there, there was a sense of satisfaction, I think, from the Lounge camp when he managed to work his way past, because I think that was a big moment. And Larko, who was working on our coverage, was talking about that, that inter-team battle over the course of the weekend, and he was impressed with the way that all three of them dealt with it, and they raced hard, but at least now, at the moment, they're racing very, very fair and they're pushing each other on. So, as, as Lewis said, Triple Eight are really, really good, um, but the fact that Roland let them go at it and have a really good scrap, and SVG caught damage in that last race by hitting one of his teammates, so um, so they, they were trying pretty hard for a non-points race, Um and to put on a really good show, and that's what they did. So um, if it's a Triple Eight-dominated year and they finish 1-2-3 in the championship, it won't be bad if that's what we're going to have all year where those three are fighting as hard as they possibly can like they did on the weekend. Mm. And uh, for our Argentinian listeners there through Supercars Argentina and anyone else in the world, TP in Australia normally means toilet paper, but if you put DJRTP together... It's uh, certainly building a formidable team there, Lewis. That's a uh, an interesting segue there, Craig. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The, uh, the the improvement in just a matter of months from that squad is quite remarkable. Scott Pye had that podium at uh, Pukekohe, and it seemed like a reward for a trying season. But you, you couldn't imagine them doing that consistently. Yet, you know, two events into 2016. They've had, um, you know, Fabian's been on the podium. They've had a couple of pole positions. He's uh, really impressed me, actually. You know, you, you could put down a lot of his success in recent years down to that BJR package, perhaps, but, but clearly he's part of that. He's the, um, the common denominator now. And uh, and what they're doing, again, like with relative uh, newness, if that's the proper word there, is, is quite impressive. There's a lot more to come, obviously. Um, I think it's... Another race engineer for Scott Pye as well. So Adam DeBore is there, and he'll he'll only get better as, as those two figure everything out. But they're certainly um, the fastest forward team at the moment, which is um, you know something very unique to say at this point of the year, given that it was one that won the title last year. 
Yeah, an interesting situation. Uh, we'll take a break before Richard gets to talk about toilet paper here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Richard Crowell and uh, all so, Lewis Isaacs and uh, Richard, you, you thought I was drawing a long bow with that link. <laughs> Just a bit. Just a little bit. But I'll, I'll echo the thoughts of Lewis that what was impressive about DJR TP, as you uh, so eloquently put them, um, was the fact that not only was Fabian fast, but Scotty was quick all weekend. And that's the second time in two rounds that they've delivered two cars that have been very, very competitive. Um, and, and how many times in the last few years have we seen Nissan have one car at the front and the rest buried down the field? Volvo has been the same, although some of that may be down to um, to other elements of the package. But that that was really impressive for me, um, was how good both of those guys were and they were racing and their cars were really good. And um, once they got into the front of the pack and, and Fabian started in that final race was brilliant and he, it went to second and stayed in second and never looked like losing it. So uh, it's, it's good signs, isn't it, that, that they're really building something pretty special up there in, um, in the Gold Coast and, and putting a really good program together. We all knew it would happen. I'm not sure how many people thought it might happen this quickly. Yeah, it is, and uh, it's going extremely well for them. We've got a new segment at the end of the show too, which I, I think you guys will enjoy particularly by the fact that I've just told you about the new segment at the end of the show. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, the rest are a long way back. And, and Lewis, you hailed it there. It now looks like DJR Team Penske is the best of the Fords. And then there's the gap, predominantly back to the Nissans. Yeah, well, you've got to throw HRT in there as well. They obviously want to race at Clipsal. But... Um... I think PRA was probably a bit unfortunate with the results at the GP. Frosty got turned around. Cam Waters had the penalty. And, and Chaz, you know, he was quick at Adelaide. He nabbed that podium and he got pole position. He was decent at the Grand Prix, and he's probably still, you know, on the comeback trail there. But, but you're right about Nissan. I think Tasmania is going to be the biggest test for them. It's always been their bogey track with those two massive straights and the, um, you know, the long time on the throttle. And what will be interesting to see is the progress they've made. It's their fourth attempt there. And we all know the story of the first year round with the aero problems and then the engine problems and, you know, you could kind of repeat that ad nauseum. And now they seem to have the package sorted. The, the engine got updated last year. The aero package is the second year round. And, and, you know, if they can have a good weekend at, um, at Simmons Plains, and that's going to um, be a nice positive sign for them for the rest of the season. Now, I'm just interested, to Richard, in your read on the rest of the field. Where do we... Do we say, yep, they were testing. As soon as they knew they weren't in contention, they pulled up stumps on going hard and just looked at every component that they wanted to try and tweak, or are we really worried about the gap that's growing? Um, oh, is there a gap, though? I, 
there's there's certainly a margin, at least at the moment, and bear in mind we're two rounds in on two completely different circuits with different characteristics. One's bumpy, tight, lots of curbs, concrete fences everywhere. The other, fast, flowing, open, smooth surface, not a lot of tight egg, um, and uh, and a, a completely different format. So it, it's probably too early to start ranking who's where. What I thought was interesting on the weekend was how people progressed um, and Lewis mentioned Nissan, and I thought the way Michael Caruso chipped away at their car over the weekend, and by race four, they were as fast as anybody, and their lap times were good, and he got himself into the top five. So that's that's promising stuff for the championship leader and for Nissan. Um, and the same can be said for Brad Jones Racing. On paper, it looks like that a rotten weekend, um, but they were appalling at the Coopsal 500. Brighty qualified sixth on the weekend at the Grand Prix, um, uh, got fenced early on and had a, a terrible weekend racing, but Tim Slade progressed through the field very, very quickly and worked his way into the back half of the top ten, but had pretty good speed by race four. So they were just a few examples for me that stood out that, right, they're going to use this opportunity to, to tune their rigs up and, and get them towards the front of the field, and I think they made progress. Um, as for the your question, I, I think it's too early to judge who's where yet. I agree with Lewis that I think Tassie's going to be a pretty key indicator of who's where because that's the third different type of track. We've got a really tight bull ring. Everyone's usually within six or seven tenths in quality. Um, that might be where we start defining the pecking order in the field this year and, and see who's where. Mm. It's worth remembering there, Richard, that you know, you've know got a Nissan up front and LDM won a race and, and no yeah, one considers those two teams anywhere near the best at the moment. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen anything really out of Scott McLaughlin and Volvo yet. That, so there's, there's clearly stuff to come from there. there. There's a heap of people that haven't shown anything over these first two events. So I think we just need to be a bit patient and um, and things will unload as we, uh, we get through. It's a pretty busy start to the year. Bear in mind, soon after Tassie, we're at Phillip Island. So another completely different circuit. So I reckon we'll have a pretty good read on things by the time we get um, we get to the end of next month. Mm. Maybe Homebush. Well, we've got to be patient for a moment because Homebush is going to come up in the next segment here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Richard Krause and Lewis Isaacs. And, uh, well, if it wasn't bad enough to say we're changing our calendar, is it even harder to say we're changing our calendar and, by the way, we're not going to come back here anymore because our contract's up? Lewis, you're the Sydney sider amongst us. What's the feeling down there in the Harbour City? Have they gone into mourning over this shock announcement that Vat Supercars are not going to look to extend the Olympic Park circuit any further? 
Well, I can imagine we'll be reading about it in this week's Sydney Morning Herald by uh, Peter Fitzsimons, to be honest. That's, um, <laughs> that'll be interesting. But to be honest, I think there are some, some pretty big issues with Sydney and V8 supercars because last year, for the second year in a row, the, um, the public transport out there is quite limited. Normally for you know significant events out there like football matches, they have free public transport that goes direct from the city. They scrapped that for the last two years. Clearly, the cost of the event was getting you know, too out of control for the, the numbers they were actually getting, and I don't think too many people are going to miss it, to be honest. And uh, beyond that, you know, the crowds at Sydney Motorsport Park haven't been great over the, you could say, the last three times we've run there as well. The, the last, I think last year the grandstand wasn't even sold out. Um, there's some big issues with Sydney crowds. I think it's not just supercars, to be honest. It's traffic and everything else is kind of deterring people from heading out. But, yeah, I don't imagine too many people are going to miss Homebush. And, and to be honest, for this year... The change isn't that significant. There was talk of compressing the calendar, and you know it's only one week difference between November twenty something to the first weekend of December, and that's not too major. But not going back, yeah, I can't imagine there'll be too many people uh, crying their eyes out over that one. Mm, I'm just wondering if they're clearing the decks to slip in an extra overseas round in 2016 rather than waiting to 2017. Well, I think Lewis... there are deals with um, Destination New South Wales. You know, they do the Bathurst 1000 through them. Uh, now the Bathurst 12 hours part of the stable. They had the pre-season test at Sydney Motorsport Park and the and the Sydney Motorsport Park round. So, you know, the rumours at Gosford seem pretty uh, spot on in the last year. And and I imagine there'll be another event in New South Wales and it's most likely going to be there. But, yeah, there's some big problems in Sydney when, you know, what's effectively the biggest city in the country can't draw a crowd to, to two events. Yeah, and before we go to Richard, sorry, Lewis, you mentioned about the traffic, and you are a rugby league fan. You uh, have loved your Steelers ever since they uh, started in the comp, which might even be before you were born. But uh, <laughs> but uh, traffic is seen to be one of the major reasons that the rugby league crowds are down because the product on TV is so good, and it's a nightmare to get to and from the venues. Yeah, well, I think if you live anywhere west in Sydney, heading out to home, or anywhere west of really Strathfield, it's all right to get to Homebush. But beyond that, it's just it's out of control. The traffic's ridiculous, parking's expensive, and, and when you're not running proper event transport that goes direct to the venue like they used to do, or like they do for state of origin matches or the like, it's just it's near impossible to get out there. And um, you know, I'm one of the, the few Sydney fighters that don't own a car, so for me, it's a bit of a dare I say a pain in the ass to to go visit Homebush. Mm. Uh, and, and we've, we've seen the AFL bail uh, out of Sydney Olympic Park as well, um, and, and the Swans back at um, back at the SCG permanently now too. Uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think the Sydney market clearly they have to have a presence there. Clearly, the only place it's going to work is Sydney Motorsport Park within the, the metro area. And James Warburton's a really interesting interview in Wheels Magazine this month by Peter McKay who on his day has been an outspoken critic of V8 Supercar. I thought it was a pretty good article and, and very balanced and, and spoke of some of the positives and some of the negatives of the sport in that they identified this talk that's been going on for a while about doing something different out at Eastern Creek. Um, and, and I think they need to they need to roll the dice at that place. They need to do something very, very different. And, and whether that's racing under lights or not, I don't know, but I think that will be a help. Um, they need to be very smart with their marketing for it. It needs to be priced brilliantly for punters to make the effort to get out there where there's no good public transport and it's difficult to park and um, often jammed on the M4 to get to it. 
Um, they've just got to put all their resources in making that work. And you can almost guarantee that at least initially a street race in Gosford or wherever they might do it is going to be a success because those events in regional centres work really well and Townsville's the, the archetype for that. So they've got to do something creative, I think, to reinvigorate Sydney because um, it needs it. Mm. It's certainly interesting that the sport itself, you know, the categories based in Sydney these days, it's had this very quiet move from the Gold Coast, you know, and I guess the corporate money's down here, but clearly the um, the fans don't seem to give too much of a, a toss. You know, they'd rather watch it on TV because the product's quite good and it's just too hard to get to a track here. And I imagine there's zero chance of any street circuit around here because the traffic chaos would mm. somehow unimaginably be worse. Yeah, and this That's is... why I think... Turn, turn, get some lights at, at Sydney Motorsport Park, which they're talking about. Either you do a one-night affair or something big, something different. Price it really, really well and try and get twenty or 30,000 people out there and, and all of a sudden you might start building an event that can sustain long-term. I would... Well, the talk last year was around August for those kind of night events, if they do keep it. And in Sydney, that's football season and you're in uh, Rugby League Heartland Correct. in Western Sydney. So Correct. I think the date... The date perhaps should, should change around the Sydney event too, you know. Mm. League starting earlier. The A-League's still going. Not that that's massive down here. And um, GWS, well, I don't even know what that is anymore. You know, they've kind of, they've disappeared very quickly. So it's just a matter of getting the timing right, avoiding the football codes, and, and then perhaps it could work. Yeah, of course, the finale didn't work there, and that was a twilight affair, uh, particularly for one of the two years, even though the races were pretty good. Uh, this might have been before you were born too. Uh, the, but it was quite some time ago. The uh, interesting thing is, could we see, as Richard said, a, a one-night a one night show or effectively a day, a Friday, Saturday show where they run a three, four, or dare I even say it, a six-hour race into the night? Richard? Um, I'm not sure if an enduro is the key. I don't think... I think what they've got with Enduros at the moment, with the Enduro Cup, Sandown versus Gold Coast, I reckon that works really well. Um, so I think you'd keep a single driver, and that would that would also, if we're talking about a, ch- a race for the championship or towards the end of the season, um, I think you'd keep a single driver. But I think they've got to do something like that, Craig, that they need to roll the dice on an event, and they need to do something that hasn't been done in motor racing. And to get people to events, as well as test in Sydney, you need to make it feel like an event. And this is what the Big Bash League has done really well with T20 cricket, is that every time you go to one of their games, it feels special, it feels unique, it feels like it's bigger than it really is. Um, And they fill Spotless Stadium out there at at Sydney Olympic Park for all four of their home games um, for the Sydney Thunder last year. Now, it's only 22,000 people, but for Sydney spec, that's brilliant. Um, So it needs to be something out of the box. It needs to be something fresh and new, and it needs to be marketed really well and priced really well to be successful. Is it an enduro? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a series of 10 six-lap spring races. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but um, people paid much more than me to work out stuff like that. But they've got to do something different. That's, that's all I can come up with. Yeah, well, I've been a long proponent, as you both know, I've been a long proponent of a Speedway Grand Prix-style race meeting. And uh, if you can imagine a couple of two-lap sprints with four cars on the track or whatever 26 divides up to evenly, uh, culminating in, you know, a, a couple of heat races each to set the qualifying position for the feature race. That's the sort of uh, thing that I think could really pull some interest. 
It's worked for Speedway for almost 100 years anyway. A break here on Inside Supercars, and then we'll return with, well, we'll look a little bit further afield than just Fiat Supercars next. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars as uh, we look now at a couple of other issues that have been skirting around the edges. But, Richard, this weekend you're going to one of the... Well, one of the pure race meetings in Australian motorsport, Easter at Mount Panorama in Bathurst, and whilst it's had a long tradition of bike racing, over the years it's had its share of four-wheel driving action up there on the mountain. Uh, it has, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> anytime you go there, and we all, I'm sure, will agree, is very, very cool, um, especially for racing, especially on a traditional weekend for racing like Easter at Bathurst. Um, and especially this weekend, we've got a new event, the, the Bathurst Six Hour, which will will give the Bathurst Motor Festival a, a headline act. It, there's a couple of um, a couple of the eight names that are floating up there. Chaz Mostert, for example, is going to be back in a car at Bathurst for the first time since October last year. So, hopefully, that's a full stop on the uh, the Chaz Mostert return stories that we've had for the last couple of months. Um, yeah, it's a special place. Um, I, I really enjoy going to Bathurst as a town, as much as I do for the racetrack, because I think it's a, a fantastic little city, but then I'm a country boy. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. It's a, it's a great weekend. And it's a, a weekend that has gained momentum, and James O'Brien, who will not be forgotten in this country for what he did restore in the 12-hour, is now having another crack at a, a endurance race. Yeah, and it's got... Um, it's got early years of 12-hour written all over it, this, and the same approach has been taken in marketing and growing it slowly and just chipping away and making sure there's a market for it first, which I think there is, and the fact there's 50 cars into this uh, this proof of that. Lewis, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think it's a great thing for um, Australian motorsport. You know, the 12-hour really changed when the GT3 cars were allowed, and up until last year, there was still that production element of the race, and that was quite cool. It was always pretty fascinating to see those cars on the track and and now they've got their own little race well i shouldn't say little that's kind of unfair but now they've got their own race and um the fact that there's 54 cars announced so so early is um is quite remarkable and shows demand and i think at a place like bathurst it's great to have diversity now there is three you know major events there three big races for people to go watch and and as richard said it's good to have a headline for the easter weekend there because that's clearly the next big thing to happen for that town and that circuit. Mm. And, Richard, for those who haven't already booked themselves in this Easter weekend to Bathurst, what can they do if they want to follow the six-hour? Well, uh, bathurstmotorfestival.com.au, Craig, is the website. Uh, I recommend you check it out. There's live streaming, live and free streaming on the Sunday. And I know the uh, punters are... Um, yeah, look, it's going to be a great weekend. And, and it, it's very, very laid-back 
relaxed race meeting, which is actually great after such a massive, intense start to the year where you've got 300,000 people in Adelaide and the Grand Prix. Um, it, it's a really cool way to go car racing, and it's very old-school, um, very privateer-based. Um, and that's not talking it down. I think that's a really endearing part of the weekend, and you get some amazing stories of uh, guys who have driven their race car over from on the back of a trailer from Perth who just want to go racing on the mountain, and it's uh, Joe Bloggs and his mate, and they unload their car, and they go racing and pack up and drive home. It's real old-school spirit of Athos stuff, and I think that's part of its appeal. So uh, get on board. Very, very affordably priced uh, tickets. A nice way to spend Easter. The weather's generally reasonable uh, in Bathurst at Easter, except last year where it was terrible. <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, uh, the history of, uh, of Bathurst and the history of motorsport ties in uh, quite well. I, I know my grandfather who raced... Uh, uh, speed cars or midgets, depending on what part of the world you're in. He used to put a two-speed gearbox into his midget and go up there and race that on weekends like this. So, um, you know, there has always been an eclectic mix of cars, which perhaps over, you know, a 20-year period, that eclectic mix hasn't been as prominent. Well, maybe Lewis can touch on this because he's a noted two-wheel enthusiast. Um, and the talk of Bathurst Second Circuit has been on the table again this week, and they've gone to federal parliament to hit them up for some cash to uh, to progress that. As a, a bike fan, mate, what do you think? Uh, two wheels, maybe the new circuit, a bit of MotoGP or some World Supers uh, at Bathurst? That would be a pretty cool historical uh, touch point, wouldn't it? Uh, the idea of riding a motorbike around Bathurst at speed absolutely scares the, um, <laughs> the willies I'm, out of me. So, I'm talking yeah. about the new, the new track when they build it. Yeah, which I think they're mm. Yeah, they're aiming very high, um, <laughs> which is great. But I, the town's proved it can cope with big crowds, and you know, Phillip Island's another remote area that hosts a race, so they might as well have a crack at it. It's it's a long way from um, from coming to fruition, but but certainly there is a, a bike history there, and and uh, you know, the, the town could certainly put something on. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that all pans out. I just would like to uh, acknowledge the uh, great work of CAMS putting together the Motorsport Hall of Fame in which we saw Peter Brock, Alan Moffat, Dick Johnson uh, as obviously the headliners of Australian touring car racing and and the rest of the the inductees on the night, which uh, was a, a fantastic evening. Did you get any surprises from the role of honour, Richard? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, you, you're underselling your uh, family's relevance to this, though, Craig. Oh, uh, enough said. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, you, you were there. Tell, tell the punters why. My grandfather, Ray Ravel, was inducted, and, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a special night, and um, there's some interviews that will be coming up on Inside Motorsport uh, uh, over the next few weeks where, um, you know, I got the shock of my life when I'm interviewing Alan Jones, and he goes, oh, you know, it's been amazing seeing these people getting inducted. I remember watching Ray Ravel, and, you, you know, you just go, well, whilst... You know what your family has done to see that Alan Jones and and uh, Stephen Gall and all these other people um, from all different walks of life know what's happened as well it was a bit of an eye opener, and I, I think that was the the critical thing. Whilst over the years, 
uh, CAMS, Speedway Australia and uh, Andra, Motorcycle Australia had never really got on. And in fact, there was periods of time where you couldn't hold a CAMS licence and a Speedway licence at the same time. Um, you know, there's been ridiculous things like that going on in motorsport across this country. And yet you had all these guys who knew about what the others had done, which was, uh, you know, pretty special. Um, and the way Camps pulled it off was just absolutely first class. Uh, Gary Connolly and his team really put together something special. It's going to be interesting to see how, you know, the next group, which I'm led to believe is something in the vicinity of 25 to 30 again, going in next year. So it'll be very interesting to see, um, you know, if the Ron Taranaks of the world and uh, perhaps even a few more drag racers um, get their names into the uh, Hall of Fame because uh, there's, as Lewis said, there's just so many Australians and uh, we punch above our weight so far. It's it's not funny. Uh, A break and then a final thought or observation here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought or observation, Lewis Isaacs. Uh, I'm probably, um, as you know, uh, fairly excited about uh, heading down to Tasmania. I think it's a, a fantastic event. It's it's still a bit of a throwback to the, the old days of motorsport. You can sit on the hill, you can see the old track, like the whole track. You drive your car in. It's a bit dusty. It's um, there's nothing else around. I think it's it's fantastic that a sport is. As big as V8 supercars, it races in city centres, it supports Formula One and, you know, everything else can still have this this vintage element on its calendar and it's still completely valid and I think that's um, something that's probably missing in modern sport and we should really appreciate it a bit more. Richard Grail. Here, here to that. Um, I, I'm going to go with, with Formula One. Um, firstly, it was very interesting to be part of the Saturday debacle. Uh Secondly, it was very interesting to see all that fixed so quickly, and it's the first decisive decision that anyone in Formula One's made in about five years. So that was good, get rid of qualifying. Thirdly, my mojo's back with F1. Um, it's tremendous to see a motor race on uh, on Sunday afternoon at Albert Park. It was great to see the place full. Um, Formula One cops it, and it's copped it a lot in the last couple of years, and a lot of it is absolutely justified. Um but it's still an immense draw card, and it's still very, very popular. Um, no, the cars don't sound good. They're better, but they still don't sound great like they used to. But let's look at the positives. We had a really entertaining Grand Prix. Fernando Alonso walked away from a crash that Alan Jones told me on Sunday night would have killed him had it been him during his Formula 1 career. That's a massive positive. Um, but the collective relief from 100,000 people on Sunday when the Ferraris got in front early in the race was palpable around the circuit. It was a great vibe. Um, and and people are 
I think, feeling pretty good about Formula 1. Yep, we're only a race in. There's a lot to go, and it could end up being another cakewalk towards Mercedes-Benz, but everything's pointing in the right direction for this to be a significantly better season than what we saw last year. And maybe those of us that have, myself included, that have drifted away a little bit from F1 uh, in the recent past, maybe we'll, uh, we'll be able to come back this year and, uh, and really enjoy it for what it is. Mm, it's going to be interesting to see how Bahrain shapes up after what we saw in Melbourne. Now, thanks to Tim Hodges at uh, AFL 360, a new segment to finish the show. Lewis Isaacs, who would you rather be? James Moffat or Michael Caruso? <laughs> um, Moffat's paycheck, Caruso's car. Make a decision. Uh, no, I'd go Caruso, I think, in that situation. Rich Crowell, who would you rather be? Fabian Coulthard or Tim Slade? Oh, Fabian Coulthard. Fabian Coulthard. Working for Roger Penske. You have to be Fabian Coulthard. <laughs> Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks very much, Richard and, and uh, Lewis. Thanks, boys. Pleasure. Till next yeah, time, round. Keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.